This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. This is my 33rd year broadcasting this show. I started in 1990. Something else that I've been doing for about the same length of time is also of great interest to me, and that is the study of near-death experiences. The reason I find those so fascinating and have been involved with them for so long is because they contribute to an understanding of the gospel. It's a little bit like a second witness, if you will. It's a different way of coming to the same conclusions. And so I really enjoy studying them. I had a conversation yesterday with an old friend who I haven't talked to for several years, Raymond Moody, MD, PhD. You can tell he's overeducated. He wrote the very first book on near-death experiences back in 1975. That was a long time ago. I was just a kid. And in 1975, this was a groundbreaking work. People had not heard of near-death experiences. And by the way, his book is still one of the very best on the subject. I highly recommend it. It's very inexpensive and available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Desert Book, everywhere. If you have not read it, I highly recommend it. Life After Life by Raymond Moody. So yesterday I was talking to Raymond, and we were discussing the history of near-death experiences. And he is not particularly religious, but he has come to the belief after studying near-death experiences that there is just no doubt that there is an afterlife, that there is a higher power, that there is a God. And it also struck me, because yesterday I heard one of the most fascinating near-death experiences that I've ever heard, that I ought to mention some of the things that reinforce gospel principles that I've heard in near-death experiences. I should step back for a second here and say that many people hear near-death experiences and somebody talks about reincarnation and they think, I don't want to listen to this because I don't believe in reincarnation. Well, if you hear something like that, or if you hear some other different or bizarre concept in a near-death experience that you do not agree with, don't worry about it because that is someone else's spin, if you will, on something they saw. I have yet to interview, I've interviewed now over well over 600 people who have had near-death experiences, and I have yet to hear from any one of them something that would prove reincarnation, for example. I have also found that everyone brings to the description of a near-death experience that they have their own personal background. After all, what else could you do? And so you have someone who maybe believes in reincarnation and they 
catch a glimpse of the next life, and they say, aha, we're born again, hence reincarnation. So a Latter-day Saint's afterlife or paradise is someone else's next life beyond. And someone's pre-existence is a previous life, and those to that other person will imply maybe reincarnation. The problem with the idea of reincarnation is that it's the idea that you are born over and over and over again as an entirely different creature, person, elephant, butterfly, giraffe, whatever it may be, and you don't remember anything from before. And if that's the case, then how could those be of value? Plus, if there's a resurrection, pretty hard to also have reincarnation. So my personal opinion at this point is that that idea, reincarnation, is a misguided way of describing what someone sees in a narrative experience. So a few of the experiences that I have had that were very significant in terms of reinforcing gospel principles are the following. I'm going to start off with one that talks about pre-existence. This afternoon, just to confirm that I remembered everything well, I called up Crystal. I won't mention her last name. And she, when she was young, had quite an extensive near-death experience. Part of her experience after a serious drowning accident was that she had her spirit leave her body, go up into heaven, and she played with Jesus and sat on Heavenly Father's lap. Asked how she knew that it was Jesus and how she knew that it was Heavenly Father. She was very adamant about it, that this was something she knew through thought communication that was irrefutable. There's just no ambiguity when you have thought communication on the other side. We have great ambiguity in this life. None of that was there. Part of her experience, in addition to the confirming idea that there's a God and Jesus, a Heavenly Father and Jesus, and they're two separate personages, is that she played with two little girls, had a great time with them, and they were excited to play with her and talk to her because she was already born and on earth, and they were waiting to be born on earth. These two little girls played with Crystal, and they talked and chatted, and they were excited and waiting to be born. The idea of a preexistence and a life that has planning attached to it, not predestination, not predestination where everything is set in stone, but something more akin to a day planner where things are organized and planned out in advance, a little bit like high school, which is planned out in advance, but not in every detail, or college, or family life, or a job, or all those other things that we plan out in advance, but somehow do not take away our free agency would be akin to what must be going on in pre-Earth life when we plan out the way things are to occur. Another person who I knew who 
reinforce this idea of pre-Earth life was Don Wood, who I knew for several years before he died of cystic fibrosis, who at one point during a near-death experience, as he was rushed to the hospital, dying from suffocation after he had scar tissue in his lungs, was that he saw himself in what he described as something similar to a classroom where he was choosing different things for his own benefit so he could learn different principles like the idea of patience, the idea of suffering as opposed to being extremely happy and and different things that would give empathy and understanding to him. And he chose his cystic fibrosis and he saw himself choose it, which was quite a surprise to him. Another person who gave me some real insight into near-death experiences and gospel principles was a man named George Ritchie. And his story is, is also one that's readily available. He wrote a book about his experience called Return from Tomorrow. It's a fascinating story about what happened to him when he died of pneumonia as a young soldier. When we come back from our break, I'll talk about a few of the gospel principles that were reinforced by George Ritchie, who was like the others that I've mentioned, uh, not really looking for gospel principles to be reinforced. George Ritchie, in particular, was not even a Latter-day Saint. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. We'll be right back after this. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. Welcome back. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, I've decided to talk a bit about some personal experiences that I've had with people who have been at the forefront of near-death experiences, both in studying them and in having them. They're quite dramatic experiences, and they've had a great impact on my life in terms of reinforcing it. We took our break. I was bringing up George Ritchie, who wrote a book called Return from Tomorrow. George was a devout Christian. In his experience, he saw Jesus. When he died in hospital bed, he said the same thing, in essence, that Joseph Smith did, but in different words. What do I mean by that? When Joseph Smith had his first vision, he said that there was a pillar of light above the brightness of the noonday sun that came down and rested upon him. And in one of the earlier versions, the 1838 version is what we have in Scripture. The 1832 version, which is a bit shorter, has some additional information in it. One of those is that as the, and and this is a paraphrase, but the gist of it is that as this pillar of light came down, it was so bright that Joseph Smith was concerned that the forest would be consumed and burn up and that he might burn up as well. But when the light touched him, even though it was so incredibly bright, 
it felt wonderful. It felt loving. George Ritchie had a similar experience. He didn't describe the son. When Jesus approached him as he was dying in the hospital, he said there was this brilliant light. It was brighter than a welder's lamp, brighter than a hundred, a thousand welder's lamps. So he's using bright welder's lamps. Joseph Smith used the sun at noonday. Richie said, I was worried that my eyes might be burned up. And then I realized I'm dead. So I have no physical eyes to burn up. And when the light touched him, Everything was fine and it felt wonderful, similar to Joseph Smith's idea that he might be burned up when this light hit him, but it didn't feel like it would. Again, confirming the gospel principle that Jesus emanates bright, glorious light, incredibly brilliant light, but it's a loving light and it does not hurt. It does not harm other people who have had similar kinds of experiences that have also reinforced gospel principles might include another friend of mine who who I've not seen or spoken to for several years because she and her husband moved to Alaska would include a woman named Angie. Angie at one point was very depressed not long after the birth of her second child. She and her husband were having a difficult time. They were stationed in the army uh, in Okinawa, and she decided to end her life. And so she sliced up her wrists in a bathtub and proceeded to have quite a dramatic near-death experience. She was so depressed that initially she went to a rather dark place, but... She knew that if she just looked up and tried to be happy, that she would be drawn out of there. And she was. Jesus came and helped her and brought her out of the depths of despair that she had, just as he is available for all of us. He was available for Angie Fenimore, who, as you might imagine, made a full and complete recovery. Similar kinds of things happen with Jesus. We can all utilize his atonement and his gift of the ability to repent. Another person with a dramatic experience like that who I've come to regard as as a close friend is a man named Howard Storm, who was a complete atheist and would describe himself as a really bad guy prior to his near-death experience. And he, again, went to a rather dark place because after this life, you go and you hang out and you're with people like you. But he didn't like them and he wanted to change. And so he prayed and Jesus came and saved him out of that difficult place. And we learn from that happening to Howard Storm that God's love is available to everyone, even someone who, as he would say, self-described, was a really bad guy. The atonement is available to everyone. A dear friend of mine 
who wrote another book who had quite a dramatic near-death experience, showed me that organized religion is very helpful and appropriate for, I believe, most people. Her name was Elaine Durham. It still is on the other side, but not here, so I use past tense. Elaine and I first discussed her near-death experience when she was living in the Midwest in Missouri. She had quite a dramatic brain aneurysm when she was in a hotel in Chicago, and she collapsed on the carpet in the foyer of this hotel. Before paramedics came, she looked as though she had expired, and a priest happened to be there in the hotel and gave her last rites, and she was taken to the hospital while paramedics worked on her. What happened was that ultimately she came back. In the interim, she had quite an extraordinary near-death experience where she saw some of the future events of the earth. And I, I first spoke to her in the early 1990s. Her near-death experience had happened earlier than that in the 1980s. When 9-11 happened, Elaine called me up excited and frantic at the same time. And she said, remember I told you buildings collapsed and, and there were horrible things that happened in my near-death experience? This is it. This is it. I recognize this. This is what happened. And as I explored that subject with her afterward, I asked her if she thought 9-11 was inevitable. And is the future somehow inevitable if she was able to see it? And she said, no, there are alternate possibilities for every future event. Free will is real. It is not an illusion. Free will is something that we can all exercise. And some people ask when you bring that up, well, that's impossible because if God's in charge of everything, then we can't have free will because God exercises all power. And the answer to that is, no, he doesn't. Just like in our lives, we don't have all power. Other people do things of their own free will that intrude on our lives, and we don't have control over them. It's an interaction. No one person has all power. God chooses not to exercise all power. He gives us the ability to choose. The point that I wanted to make about Elaine Durham is another one in addition to free will in the future being known. And that is that Elaine was told that at some point in the future, she would find a denomination, a group that would be very helpful for her. And as she was driving her car in the mid-1990s from Missouri to Seattle, Washington, it broke down in Salt Lake City, and she never left, and she joined the LDS faith. That was, as she believed, an answer to what she saw in her near-death experience. I hope some of these things that I have had impact on my life that are not directly in the gospel, but reinforce it and reinforce its principles are of use to you as well. 
Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today.